Our first reading is from the New Testament. We're going to flip things today, which we can do in the Presbyterian Church, because nobody, there's no central office that tells us what order to do things, which is awesome. Uh, its focus in this brief passage from John's Gospel is on the person of Jesus Christ. This is what we call a Christological text. Um, Interesting that it comes up on the Sunday before Thanksgiving on our Commitment Sunday. Listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you in this familiar passage from the 18th chapter of John, the only place we find it in the New Testament. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The word of the Lord. In our second reading now, we're going to go back into the Hebrew scriptures, to our Old Testament, uh, to look at the prophet Jeremiah in the 23rd chapter, the first five verses. Our first text from John, we focus on the person of a king and a discussion about what kind of king uh, Jesus is. Here we have another image, that of a shepherd. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any of my sheep be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. May the meditations of our hearts this morning upon your word to us as we enter into this holy season with grateful hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this is supposed to be an uplifting time of year and an uplifting place. We're supposed to proclaim the good news, but Jeremiah 
starts out kind of negatively, woe to shepherds who scatter and destroy the sheep of my pasture. So he gets right at it, Jeremiah. This is not just about sheep, is it? It's a metaphor. Um, In fact, this first section uh, of Jeremiah, chapter 23, these first verses, diagnose our human predicament pretty well. These were written down 2,600 years ago during the time of the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Those two together make up what today is the state of Israel. But 2,600 years ago, the prophet Jeremiah, inspired by the Spirit of God, got it right. We are scattered. We're solo artists wandering around, trying to get it right, trying to do things on our own. We're all on this never-ending journey, quest, really, for something we'll never find, the Holy Grail, the Northwest Passage, the, the, the answer to figuring out life on our own so we can be happy, finally, at peace, finally. That elusive goal. And we expend so much energy trying to track it down, to figure it out, to get our arms around it and hold on to it. We spend really every day, every week, every month, every year chasing after this sense of peace. At the end of your life, it doesn't really matter how much you've got or how much you've done. It really matters how you feel inside about the life you've lived and the life that you are about to experience. We discover, if we're out there running around like chickens with our heads cut off, that even if we spend every day doing good things, working hard, we eventually discover that success or wealth or accomplishment, even fun with friends and family, those are all good things, but they're not the thing. They don't feel that emptiness. That they don't give us a sense of peace. They're not it. They're not the it we're looking for. That's Jeremiah's diagnosis. He's not just talking about sheep on a hillside somewhere. We're scattered. We're prone as the hymn we sang last week, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, one of my grandmother's favorite songs. We are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so we're restless. We wander around. We're surrounded by people, but we're isolated. We're lonely in a crowd. That's our human predicament. We are, in a way, like the famous legend of the ghost ship, the Flying Dutchman, right? Sails all around the world, but there's never a port that they can get into. There's no home. Can't, we just got to keep moving. In fact, we used this uh, image last week, this sort of nautical image, that life for a lot of people is unmoored. Right? Not tethered to any strong, certain foundation. And the weird, ironic thing is, the more we try to build up ourselves and focus on ourselves, the more we tend to lose track of ourselves, to lose touch with ourselves. Another way of saying that is we end up far from home. So we run from one promise to the other, longing to find a home, a port of call, a place where we can just be ourselves. And those promises are the shepherds in this first part of Jeremiah. Take a look at that text. Woe to you shepherds who have scattered my sheep. 
They followed your voice, but you've not led them to a place of peace and rest and safety. Woe to you. There are going to be consequences. You haven't attended to them. This is, I remember this in a different language as a kid. You know, my father was kind of busy, but he would say, I'll, we'll talk about this later. Right? You haven't attended to those sheep, God says in Jeremiah, but later I'm going to attend to you. Your popularity won't last. People are going to discover the emptiness of your promises. You keep the human family running around like crazy, hoping to figure things out for themselves, to find truth for themselves. And eventually you're going to pay that price. You're going to pay the price for their sadness, their restlessness. And then here is where it gets interesting in this passage from Jeremiah today. Jeremiah says, the sheep may be scattered, but I, Jeremiah is speaking for God, I, the Lord, will gather my flock from wherever they are, and I will bring them home. I will bring them, using sheep language, back into the fold. That's what God does. That's what our God does. Our theme for this Thanksgiving and stewardship season has been coming home to today's church. The world has changed, all of us in the last couple, three years, have changed. Change is what life is, right? And last week, we talked about how my kids always tease me as a military kid. They always say, you know, Dad, where are you from? Whenever anybody asks you that, it always is a different answer, right? Um, how many homes do you have? I have a few, four or five. We moved a lot. My dad was in the Air Force. I went to college and grad school and then another grad school. I had a number of jobs before I got this one. Um, but I do have a few homes, and I feel at home in a few places. When I am driving east on I-90 and dropping in after you drive through the desert of the central part of the state of Washington, anybody ever been there? They call them the Scablands. There's a Washingtonian, a couple of them in the way back. When you get to the very eastern end where Idaho is, where my high school hometown of Spokane is, all of a sudden you start seeing trees and mountains again, but you drop off this hill into the city and it's really incredibly beautiful. It is home to me. When I'm driving west on I-80 and I see the Transamerica building and the, the skyline of San Francisco and the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge, I know I'm home. I went to college there. I worked there in the years after college. When I go through the Lincoln Tunnel, it's home. Grad school, young adulthood. And yes, when I'm on Route 3 and go by the TikTok diner, I'm home, baby. If you'd ever told me I'd be living in New Jersey for the rest of my life and be happy about it, I would have laughed at you. But you know, when you go home, whatever road takes you there or whatever person takes you there, we're so grateful. It's such an elusive feeling. So Jeremiah, after diagnosing our problem that we're scattered, says, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to gather my flock together. And it's important when reading this passage or reading any part of the Old Testament, but especially Jeremiah, to know that in the ancient Near East and ancient Israel in particular, one of the most commonly used images for a king is a shepherd. Right? A good king shepherds her or his people. Queens are just as powerful, just as awesome, the good ones. In fact, Spanish word for shepherd is pastor, right? But this doesn't quite make sense on first uh, glance because 
Kings usually help us escape from home, don't they? Our boring, everyday, 80 Elm Street home. That's my home, by the way. In Cinderella, the prince, the future king, shows up with this glass slipper and searches for the woman whose foot it will fit to take her away from all this, right? Like Calgon. I'm dating myself, right? Into a better happily ever after. But this king, Jeremiah is talking about, brings us home. Doesn't take us into some fantasy land, just brings us back to ourselves. God will raise up a king. And did you get the relational language in this text? Take a look at how many times that possessive pronoun my occurs. My pasture, my people, my flock. This is a very personal relationship we're talking about. This kind of king loves each and every sheep, even me. So this reading today combines these two images that don't normally, uh, we don't normally find combined. It's this king who is about to show up, to, is arriving soon, and this king who brings us home. That isn't usually how kings do it, as we say. We meet the queen and king who takes us off to Camelot, but this king sort of surprises us and brings us back to our best, normal, real-life self. Imagine, and I know many of you can, you've been on a business trip longer than you'd like to have been, and you're flying home to Newark. How many of us have been there, right? And you get delayed, hands up, right? And finally, you try calling an Uber, but you're at the wrong level. You don't know where to go. Then you lose reception, and then everybody's nodding, right? And then finally, the Uber pulls up. You check the license plate. You check the name. And the driver leans, goes, and says, hello, and it's Taylor Swift. Or Eli Manning, if that's a king to you. If you're a soccer player, World Cup is starting. It's Lionel Messi. Or if you're a tennis player, Venus Williams. Or if you're just a class person, it's Roger Staubach, right? Football player from the old days. You are being chauffeured by royalty. This is what this text is about. And it's awesome. And while you're back there, you're texting your friends. You're trying to find a way to start a conversation and ask for a little selfie and an autograph. And all the while, this person who's got better things to do but is paying attention to you is taking you home. Get off at exit 148, fight your way up Bloomfield Avenue, left on Elm Street, just past the funeral home. That's, that's how I tell you, okay, right? <laughs> the biblical claim today, the Judeo-Christian claim, in fact, the claim that can be made by all religions is that, is that God is a good God, for which, for many of whose blessings for which we can and should be thankful, but the uniquely Christian claim that there is a king, a savior, a teacher, a leader, a friend who is coming to set things right by taking us home to a place where we can just be ourselves, as Amy Borte said so beautifully last week in our stewardship talk. So for us, gratitude isn't just a feeling. Gratitude is a way of living. It really matters. Because we don't just get a, any old blessing. The blessing we get is a trip home. Think about that teacher or the coach, a parent, maybe even a pastor or a priest 
who cared about you. I'm convinced that my sermons or children's sermons, of course not Millie's, that was amazing, uh, the kids aren't going to remember what I say. They're going to remember how they feel. Are they loved? Right? That's the main thing. Anybody who makes me feel like that, anybody who makes my children feel like that, might as well be a queen or a king to me because they are at the top level of everybody. I've told this story before, but one of my kings in my life is a guy named Woody. He had three teeth, three. I was driving my motorcycle from home in Spokane, where I went to high school, to college in the Bay Area. It's about a thousand mile trip, halfway through it, 500 miles into it. My motorcycle broke down in Bend, Oregon. I was too embarrassed to call my parents and get help, so I hitchhiked the rest of the way. This is back in the day when you could do that. I told my mom and dad after it was over what had happened. The first three rides, including in the back of a pickup truck, got me about 200 miles, not bad, just north of the California-Oregon border. But then a beat-up Camaro pulled up, kind of black and barely holding together, probably about a 1969, 70 maybe. It was filled with way too many Playboy air fresheners. And a guy named Woody, a truck driver, moving, just driving down the West Coast, going from one place to another. He told me at the beginning, I can get you as far as Sacramento. By the end of the trip, he took me all the way into San Francisco. He wouldn't take any money. All he would take was a thank you. So as I got up, I left a $20 bill. I just sort of accidentally left it. So grateful. Woody took me home. As a savior in that situation. I love the quote today uh, at the beginning of your bulletin from Mary Lou Wiseman. Having traveled initially in our lives to get away, ultimately we travel to come home. But we learn that we can't get there on our own. We can't get there from here, so to speak, as they say in Maine, because we're not built that way. We're just not able to do it on our own. And that's the good news of Jeremiah and ultimately the Gospel of John today. We don't have to do it alone. I will raise up a righteous branch. I will gather my sheep into the fold. In that last section, this righteous branch, the shepherd, will reign as a different kind of king, a king of humility, a king of justice and righteousness, not just acquisition and safety and defense, rather of risk-taking, of living fully. And the people in my flock, the sheep in my flock, every last one will be found, will be safe. I will not leave any behind. They will all live in safety. That's who God is. That's the future we're promised. That's the future God's people were promised 2,600 years ago as the horrible exile by the Babylonians loomed in the very near future. It was going to get worse before it got better. But God came and found them and brought them home, and God will bring us home too. The author Isaac Denison, who wrote Out of Africa, her real name, by the way, and if you know this, you get a very gold star, was Baroness Karen Christense von Blixen Finica. Who knew? And she wrote, again, one of our quotes today, for God does not create a longing or a hope without having a fulfilling reality ready for them. But our longing 
to go home is our pledge. And blessed are the homesick, for they shall come home. Our chauffeur, our Uber driver, our king is a different kind of king. One who cares about us personally. Fred Craddock tells a story that illustrates the other aspect of that, our kind of king who takes us home and that sort of homecoming is our celebration today. And that is, as a king, as Millie said in her opening prayer, in her assurance, a king who is willing to do anything to make sure we're safe, even at this king's own risk. So the story Fred Craddock says, is, tells us, is about a family that was taking a lovely sort of Sunday afternoon drive when all of a sudden the children started yelling, Dad, stop the car, there's a kitten in the road. But the father kept on driving, didn't really want to stop for a cat, but the children wouldn't quiet down, so the dad tried to reason with them. This kitten was probably someone's pet in this neighborhood. It may have a disease. We don't want to bring it into our house, let alone our car, let alone our house. This family already has too many pets, but it did no good. The children were just insistent that a loving father who loved their children, loved his children, would stop a car for a scraggly kitten who needed a home. So finally the dad stopped the car, turned it around, drove back, reached down for that scraggly kitten, and the ungrateful little cat scratched him immediately. Fighting an urge to strangle this little kitten, the dad packed it up, took it, put it in the car, and took it home. And once at home, the children made a bed for this little cat out of their softest blankets. They fed the little cat milk out of a dropper. They petted and fussed over this little kitten. And soon, that scraggly, angry, scary cat was purring and rubbing on the family member's legs, especially the dad, as if the dad were this kitten's best friend. And the dad looked at the scars on his hands, left by that frightened and ungrateful kitten who had experienced such hardship, obviously, in its short life. And then the dad looked at that comfortable, well-fed, secure kitten rubbing against his leg. Had this cat suddenly become more worthy of love? No, Craddock says. His intentions toward the cat had always been to do good, not harm, but something had happened to the kitten and inside the kitten that made it feel secure, loved, and accepted. And that same transformation can happen to us too when we come home and allow the one who wants to bring us home to allow that God to wrap us in that God's loving arms. Amen.